Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We are located in Seattle, Washington. As a church, we want to be a community of faithfully present people with God, self, and others. We hope that this encourages you to do the same wherever you are. And thanks for joining us. All right, well, let's jump into the sermon for the day. My name is Alex, and I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption. And so as many of you know, we are beginning a new series today that's going to take us about eight weeks to journey through uh, a very important topic. Uh, And the title of our series is simple. It's called My Neighbor, Ethnicity, Justice, and the Image of God. Today, I was planning on beginning with just unpacking Genesis chapter one and talking about what it is to be made in the image and likeness of God. And yet, as I was studying this week for hours, praying and writing and thinking, uh, it really just became very apparent that I need to lay a lot of groundwork before we even actually get into the content of the the whole series. And so that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to seek to lay a lot of groundwork. So with that being said, uh, I'm excited about this. And so let me just answer some questions, really. Uh, First, what are we doing and why are we doing it? Well, We are seeking to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus as it pertains to racial reconciliation and the gospel. The problem of racism, injustice, and violence is as old as time itself. And so over the last several months, we've seen our nation in an uproar, hemorrhaging in many ways, surrounding racial injustice be it historically, systemically, or even down on very personal levels. And so while our nation is crying out, uh, I want to respond very locally to our own church because the questions are coming in in our city, but they're also very much so happening here in our own church. What do we do? How do we respond? And so on. My charge as a pastor I received from St. Paul in Ephesians 4 verse 12, where he says that my job is to do the work of the ministry, to to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And you ask, well, what's the work of the ministry that saints are called to do? It is the ministry of reconciliation. We read about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 18. And so immediately when we think about the ministry of reconciliation, we're challenged with questions concerning um, on what grounds are human beings reconciled? How are human beings going to be reconciled when there's so much division and so much hostility? And so I want to speak very clearly to that, that the deep soul healing, world redeeming, Reconciliation that Paul speaks about does not merely occur on the grounds of a political party, but first and foremost, it occurs on the grounds of Golgotha's hill in which Jesus died. And it is there at Calvary where the playing field is made level. And every last one of us, regardless of race, color, gender, ethnicity, socioeconomic class or language, all of us from the richest to the poorest find ourselves in need of the grace of God Almighty.
Let me read you this passage from 2 Corinthians 5. It says this, All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now listen to this. This is one of the most powerful passages in the entire Bible. We, give our we get our assignment here. We are ambassadors, representatives of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Ralph Martin, a theologian, said uh, about this particular passage. He says this, the, weight, the lengthy, weighty passage in verses 16 to 21 has many facets, but one master theme. In it, Paul is setting down the Christian conviction that in the Christ event, a new world has been born and a new age has supervened on world history. Phrases like a new creation, reconciliation, and righteousness of God are all virtual synonyms for this new eon, which has radically affected both divine, human, and earthly relationships. Catch that. Reconciliation that has affected all earthly relationships. Theologian Scott McKnight wrote a book called A Community Called Atonement, and it says this. It's very good. To be forgiven, to be atoned for, to be reconciled, synonymous expressions, is to be granted a mission to become a reciprocal performer of the same. Catch that. To forgive, to work atonement, and to be an agent of reconciliation. Thus, atonement is not just something done to us and for us. It is something we participate in, in this world, in the here and now. It is not just something done, but something that is being done. And something that we do as we join God in the Missio Dei. So catch that, we participate we participate. What an invitation to participate as God ushers in his kingdom. What a wonderful invitation. And what's so wonderful that as the culture, the world at large is grasping for answers and for hope, the church is not lost in the shuffle, but rather we have the very hope of the world. Amen. God has not left us to guess what his will might be. Far from it. God is present to us here and now by the Holy Spirit. He has given us the Holy Scriptures. And the hope of the world is not merely something that we can accomplish through political campaigns alone. That's not to say education isn't important, because it is. Politics aren't important, because they are, of course. But please hear me say unashamedly, that the greatest hope, the deepest hope, the most salvific hope we have is deeply rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Catch that. This perfect King Jesus is the only one who possesses the power to unite hostile people by breaking down dividing walls. Jesus himself is that sledgehammer that smashes through racism, through classism, through sexism, through injustice. It smashes through everything that human beings in our own sin have established in order to keep ourselves at enmity with one another. The answer is rooted in Jesus Christ, his brutal death on the cross and his glorious resurrection. It is in Jesus, the great sledgehammer of God that breaks down dividing walls between hostile parties. That's what we have to offer the world right now as followers of Jesus. He creates a gentle community, a loving community, a listening community, a truth-telling community. And that that's what I long to see happen. That's what our elders want. That's what our deacons want. That's what our staff wants. That's what our life group leaders want. That's what our members want. We all want this. And listen, I realize that I am a very imperfect man. I am an imperfect leader. I do not have all of the answers. I have messed up. I will mess up. I accept that I am human. And so I covet your prayers. I need your prayers in this time as I seek to love and lead and serve and co-labor alongside you for the well-being of everyone in our city. Another thing I want you to know is that everything we're doing that's being covered in sermons, in life groups, in our book studies, everything we're doing has been carefully thought through. Nothing is being done recklessly or carelessly, but rather our teams, our leaders, everyone has come together and we have prayed, we have sought God over this. And so I just want you to know that. In fact, I was reminded yesterday that Hebrews 13 verse 7 tells us that the elders of the church will give an account for the souls that are entrusted to their care. And so as one of the pastors here, I want you to know that church, that I'm thinking about your faces. I'm thinking about your families. I'm thinking about you constantly and praying for you by name. This is so important. Now, another thing is this, is that there's a book that we're going to be going through as many of us in our church are going to be covering. You're free to jump in if you like uh, by a gentleman by the name of Jamar Tisby. He is a historian and he's an African-American brother uh, who received his education there at a school I went to for a period of time called Reformed Theological Seminary. He wrote a book and uh, it came recommended to me highly from several leaders around our country that I love and respect. And so we're going to cover this material together. And one thing I want to say here in the sermon, and it's something I've said in every book study that we've done as a church, uh, is this. Feel free <laughs> to eat the meat and spit out the bones of any book you read, whether it's a Tim Keller book or a book I've written. It doesn't matter. Read and eat the meat, spit out the bones, wrestle with things. There might be things in there that you totally agree with and go, oh my gosh. And there might be things in there that you agree with and go, or disagree with and go, I'm not so sure about it. Either way, wrestle with it, stay in it, engage the, the content itself together, even if we're uncomfortable. 
The next thing I'd say is this, is that what we're doing as a church family, our aim and goal over the next several weeks is not to stir up white guilt. I've said that before from the pulpit. I'll keep saying it. But for the white people in our congregation, we are not seeking to scourge ourselves with white guilt. White guilt does not atone for the sins of some of our ancestors, nor does white guilt offer oppressed minorities even in the here and now. It doesn't offer them any hope at all. White guilt dead ends on itself. As Christians, listen, I want you to hear this to my white brothers and sisters who might be battling this guilt stuff. Our sins have been completely blotted out by the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sin has been nailed to his cross. And so we are now justified by his resurrection. Paul tells us in Colossians 3, verse 3, we are hidden with Christ in God. And now listen, church, here's what our hiddenness affords. Because we are so hidden with Christ in God, we can take an honest and sober look at the world around us from the past, things that others have done, maybe things that we have done. And we, because we are hidden with Christ in God, we need not give in to shame or fear or guilt, but rather we can repent where we need to repent, or maybe we need to lament where lamentation is called for. And we do this in light of the fact of the good news is that Jesus Christ is on his throne and he is reigning and ruling and that one day he is going to renew all things, bringing perfect peace to all of creation. So we're not here for guilt. We're not here for fear. We're not here for shame. Those are nailed to the cross of Christ. We now rest in the perfect work of Jesus and we joyfully follow after him. Now, I know that many of us are a bit nervous for many different reasons. And this is why that in light of all the headlines and all the tweets and all the newspapers and all the posts, we are to subject everything to the written word of God. We must do so. So if you're feeling anxious, you can release it. Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything through prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And he goes on to say, And the peace of God will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus, which surpasses all understanding. If you're feeling anxious right now, you can give that over to God. If you're worried, release it. Jesus instructs us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, 34. Do not worry about tomorrow. I know I've had to continue to preach this one to myself. Do not worry about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring, but seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything will be added to you. If you're worried, you can release it. If you're afraid, I know our world is filled to the brim with fear. Church, hear this. If you're afraid, remember that 2 Timothy 1.7 is for you. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and a sound mind. See that? You've got to immerse yourself in the word of God. Otherwise, 
Our minds are subject to whatever is going on in the news all day, every day. We have to have an anchoring point and the anchoring point is not a news channel. The anchor of the Christian life is the very word of God that testifies to the son of God and to the glory of God. That's where we go as we sift through things in this world. First John chapter four tells us that we are to test the spirits. We are to test things constantly. And what do we constantly test them by? By the word of God and the son of God and the spirit of God within the church of God. <laughs> All right. And so please don't hear me, by the way, saying, just ignore the world, ignore the news and do Bible studies. That's not what I'm saying at all. Please don't hear that. Um, what I am saying is study the word of God, immerse yourself in it, and then go into the world as Jesus instructs us to be salt and light, according to Matthew 5, 13 to 16. In John 17, Jesus prayed very specifically, Father, do not take my followers out of the world. He did not pray that we would leave the world, but sent us into the world with the good news that he is king and he redeems and he reconciles, heal, he heals and he restores. That's what we're about. Paul tells us this way to not be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so one of my responsibilities as a pastor is to continually call us to this, to renew our minds according to God and his world, that we not be conformed to the patterns of this world. And there are innumerable patterns, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And so for me, as I think about pastoring, I've said this several times, I tend to think in I tend to think in terms of exegesis, meaning this, to extract from, to lead out, to exit, right? I exegete the scripture, but that's not all. I exegete the culture. Where do I live? What's the world talking about? That's important. Otherwise, you're just preaching into a vacuum. I exegete our own congregation. I want to answer questions that our people are answering. I'm not concerned with what someone's asking out of Oklahoma, but I do care what people are asking within Redemption Church here in Seattle. Exegete our congregation. And I exegete myself. I've got my own self-work to do. I've got to work on myself with the word of God and God's spirit and God's people being present to me. And so Peter says this in, in, in 1 Peter 5. Verse two, he says, shepherd the flock among you, which means I'm going to have to actually answer questions that the flock that has entrusted to my care, right? And the care of our leaders, I've got to shepherd and answer those questions. And so the questions that are, I'm constantly getting surround racial reconciliation in the gospel. And yes, I'm aware that there are innumerable other things going on in the world. We've got our ecological crisis. I've taught a class on that. We've got uh, the coronavirus, <laughs> you know, we could be talking about that. We've got um, Roe v. Wade. It's still yet to be overturned. And I'm up to date on the numbers. And in fact, I preached on abortion last year on Sanctity of Life Sunday. And on and on it goes. I, I know there are innumerable things we could be talking about right now. And this is why all of creation is groaning 
and longing for the return of the king? This is the question our church is asking. This is the question our culture is asking. So what we're going to do while we await the return of our King Jesus is we're not going to bury our heads in the sand. We're not going to bury our talent in the ground, but we are going to do what faithful men and women of God have always done. We're going to immerse ourselves in prayer. We're going to immerse ourselves in the word of God. We're going to open the scriptures. We're going to take up our cross and follow Jesus with his joy rooted in our hearts and our neighbor's well-being, being part of the end goal of all that we're seeking to do as a church family. So my hope is that this series uh, will be both encouraging to you and equipping to you. My repeated prayer in preparation for this has been that we would be utterly awestricken again and again by the grace and mercy of God shown toward us in Christ Jesus and that we would be so gripped by God's heart for his world that we would, as Ephesians 4, 1 says, that we would walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called and that we would move toward our neighbors in great compassion. In Leviticus, we'll get into this in two weeks, God willing. We are instructed again and again, in fact, throughout the New Testament as well, love your neighbor as yourself. And that literally translates, love your neighbor Show kindness and tenderness toward your neighbor, for he is like you. We're going to unpack that. Our neighbor is like us. Let me say a couple other things that's very important as we lay this foundation. This sermon series is not about supporting a particular political party. This is not about supporting the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, the Libertarian Party, or Kanye West's birthday party. We are not seeking to champion a particular political party. Next, the only organizations that our church is partnering with and will continue to support at this time are two local nonprofits, Aurora Commons and Mary's Place, two organizations that are dedicated to serving people in tremendous physical need here in our city, right here and right now. As far as the Black Lives Matter organization goes, our church does not and will not support that organization as a whole. This is not because of their values concerning diversity, restorative justice, or a sincere desire for intergenerational participation. Not because of those things. Those things are all very much so kingdom of God values. And when I see those things expressed in a non-Christian organization, I can still rejoice in that going, well, that is a common grace of God. And in that, I rejoice. Where we part ways, unashamedly, concerns issues of abortion, sexual ethics, and their commitment to, quote, disrupting the Western prescribed nuclear family structure. Those things are completely antithetical to following Jesus and upholding the word of God. And therefore, the organization does not gain the support of Redemption Church to make that very clear. So this is not a series that will give everyone precise instructions on how to respond in every single situation from day to day. 
Your job as a follower of Jesus is to walk in the spirit, according to Galatians 5.16, and to follow his guidance. And so that is going to take a different look from person to person. You know, a few weeks ago, I said in a sermon responding to the brutal murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and George Floyd, that white silence is white violence. And that statement could have been more carefully nuanced. It really could have. After all, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 6 says, there's a time to tear apart and a time to sew together. A time to be silent and a time to speak. For some, during this time, as you read the word of God again and again, you'll be brought under conviction and you'll go to a rally or to a march. Some of you may end up quitting your jobs and becoming social activists. Some, and, and those will be great things. Some of you will write. Some of you will leverage your sphere of influence in certain ways to advocate for justice for our black brothers and sisters. And that will be beautiful. You'll be loud. A time to speak. And there's a time to be silent. Some of you will go directly to your prayer closet, close the door, get down on your knees and pray to almighty God, the capital K King, the one whom all justice originates from. You will speak to him and you will plead with him to move in our world, to move in our hearts, to move in our church, to move in our city, to move in our government. You're going to pray and you're going to move mountains by faith. And that's what it will look like for you. Some of you will walk down the hall and have a conversation with a son or a daughter or conversation over coffee with a friend. It will begin, it will look different. So I'm not going to prescribe to anybody. This is precisely how it has to look in every given scenario. So, we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to journey through scripture. We're going to journey through several genres of scripture, talking about ethnicity, justice, and the image of God. And the reason why is because we would hate for, for any of our people to not be biblically informed about this ever so important issue. You see, justice is not something that a prophet mentioned once in a while in some back corner of the Bible but rather it is a theme that shows up again and again and again and again in every genre of scripture. It arises as the will of God for his people to pursue. And it's going to be really, I think it's going to be amazing to study with you. All right. So there is our groundwork that we're going to be coming from. We're committing ourselves as Christians to grow, to pray, to think, to stretch all to the glory of God and for the blessing and flourishing of our neighbors. I want to remind you a few things that you heard today in scripture. You're a new creation in Christ. You're hidden with Christ in God. You have nothing to be afraid of. You are not ridden with any form of guilt or shame because there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Church, I love you. I'm so excited to walk alongside you and seek to lift up Jesus, the sledgehammer who breaks down dividing walls of hostility. Thanks again for joining us. If you want more information about our church or would like to come visit us on a Sunday, go to redemptionseattle.com.